Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Lord, help us to make that song, Lord, the true prayer of our heart, Lord, that our only boast would be in Jesus and in his, his life, Lord. Help us to die to our flesh, Lord, and live, live your life, Lord, through us. We just thank you, Lord, for the service, Lord, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Wow. Good morning, family church. Wow, what worship. Are we blessed? It is great to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping with the people of God. God is so gracious to us as His Grace continues to be poured out on us lavishly. And in return, we give our lives to the gospel. And if you're new to the family church, let me say that we are happy and excited that you're here with us today. Our aim, our goal, our focus is to please God with our lives. Faithfulness is what we're after at the family church. The mission of the family church is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. That is the mission for all local churches as we read in the scriptures. And I will say, we are on an exciting journey. As Casey and myself are filtering everything that we do here through the word of God to ensure that we are being faithful to God. May we continue to strive together to honor Christ with every ounce of energy that we have, and may God receive all the glory and honor for what he is doing in his church. So as we begin today, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we are in awe of you as we have worshipped you, Father. May you be the one who is on the throne of our lives. May you be lifted high and lifted up holy. May we praise you. May we glorify you. May our lives be a living sacrifice to you. As we do such a poor job of this often, Father, but yet you love us. You continue to change us for your glory by your Spirit. We thank you for your grace, for your continuous love that you've given us. May we let this love Overflow in our hearts to everyone else around us, and especially in our relationship to you, God. Thank you for what you're doing with your people. May we be faithful to you today, and it's through Christ's name. Amen. Today, we are continuing our series in Philippians, so open your Bibles to Philippians 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. That's Philippians 3, verses 1 through 3. And Paul says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is 
actually a safeguard to you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul, like most preachers and pastors, says, Finally, my brothers, and then he preaches and teaches for another two chapters. This reminds me of a time when a little boy whispered to his father, Daddy, what does the preacher mean when he says finally? To which his father muttered, absolutely nothing, son. (laughs) So I will try to be short and sweet today and get right to the point. So let's jump into verse 1. And Paul starts by saying, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Paul commands the Philippians here to rejoice in the Lord. The Greek word for rejoice here is kario, which literally means to be glad, to be joyful, to rejoice. And you may be wondering, what does Paul want us to rejoice about? Well, he says, in the Lord. Be joyful in the Lord. In the midst of the struggles, the pain, the trials, The tragedies, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And we must remember here that the Philippians were facing internal conflict in the church. But not only that, they were facing outward persecution by the Roman Empire. We've discussed many times that they were possibly going to lose their life if they were a Christian. But not only that, if you were a Christian in the first century in Rome, you could not get a job because you would not bow your knee before Caesar. So as Christian families would sit at the table trying to figure out how they were going to survive, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. That had to be echoing in their minds and hearts. And as we've talked about, joy and rejoicing is much different than happiness. You can't command happiness. You can't tell somebody who's upset, be happy. We can't command feelings. Good feelings come and go when life goes our way. When circumstances and people are working in our favor, this generates emotions of what we call happiness. For example, when my wife finds out she's pregnant, she feels these instant feelings of happiness. And if I'm smart, I'm going to feel those instant feelings of happiness too. (laughs) But as the pregnancy progresses and she starts to feel the weight of the baby kicking her bladder, that's what she says, it's kicking her bladder. I don't actually know and can't imagine what that feels like, but that's what she tells me. The baby's kicking her bladder and she feels absolutely miserable. She will tell you, though, that she doesn't feel very happy at that moment. There's still an overwhelming joy of knowing there is a little bundle from God that's growing inside of her. Joy trumps momentary feelings of happiness because joy looks beyond circumstances and people and goes how we are delighting in our Lord Jesus Christ. Truth number one, our source of joy is Christ himself. Truth number one, our source of joy is Christ himself. As Christians, our sweetest relationship should be that of our Lord and Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Christ is our foundation. He is our center. He is our all in all. Our life is supposed to be wrapped up, built in, centered on Christ Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Christ is not a part of our life. Christ is not an add-on to our life. Christ is not a filler of our life. Christ is our life. Listen to what Paul tells the Colossians in three, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says this, if, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Amen. Christ, we have no choice. It's not optional to have Christ as a part of our life. It says here that he is our life if we are children of God. We have died to ourselves and our life is now hidden in Christ. Our focus, our energy, our thoughts, our actions should come from a desire to honor Christ. But you may be wondering, how can I know if I am truly focused or honoring Christ today? Well, I would ask you, how do you spend your spare time? You know, you can learn a lot about somebody, how they spend their spare time. How does our TV and internet and phone time compare to our time wrestling, meditating, memorizing the Word of God? Or... How does our internet, TV, and phone time compare to our time on our knees to our gracious God that we are supposed to be praising in prayer daily? How are we doing with that? We make time to do what we love. It's just that simple. We make time to do what we love. What we love, what we care about, who we are living for is not a mystery. It is clear in how we spend our time. Are we loving Christ or something else? This is not a philosophical question to think about. It's obvious in how we live our lives every day. Truth number two. We rejoice because of our hope in Christ. We rejoice because of our hope in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Romans fifteen thirteen. That's Romans 15, 13. And it says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. From Romans 15, 13, who is our hope? God. From Romans 15, 13, who fills us with all joy and peace? God. From Romans 15, 13, where is our hope found? In God. As we trust in God, the Holy Spirit overflows the heart with more hope. Christians should be the most hopeful people on the planet. Are we hopeful today in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Because we as Christians are growing in peace, 
in joy and hope simultaneously. And this has nothing to do with the circumstances that we're facing, but how much we are trusting in God. Let's continue on, because I said I was going to be brief. Let's continue on. We're at Philippians 3, and we're at the second half of verse 1. That's Philippians 3, verse 1, the second half. And it says, It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you, Again, and it is actually a safeguard for you. Paul is saying here to the Philippians, it's no, it's no trouble for me to repeat the same truths to you this, and talk about the same issues with you, like rejoicing in the Lord because it's so important for you to grasp and to walk with daily in your practical life. But not only that, he says it's a safeguard for you. He says it's actually a safeguard for you. To do this. So let me give you three reasons why repetition is a safeguard for us. Number one, repetition is a safeguard for us because one, it reminds us of truth. If you've noticed, we as humans really struggle with amnesia. For example, How many times, I remember thinking about this uh, before I was in the ministry, I would get really excited about Sunday morning services and be pumped about it and think of all the people that I wanted to come with me to service. And, sun, and Monday morning when I was working with my coworkers, I would get to talk to them about Christ. But I would be so pumped about the message and about the worship that I was just a part of and I would start talking about the message, and I'd be like, man, you should have been there yesterday. The sermon was awesome. Let me tell you about the first point. It was so good. You're going to love this. It, it was something about God. I can't remember exactly what, but it was something about God, but it was really good. But let me tell you, it was even better the second point. The second point was even better because it was about, like, forgiveness in Jesus. It was real. But the point is, you got to come because the sermons was awesome. You got to come with us to church. Repetition reminds us of truth. But number two, rep repetition is a safeguard for us because it leads us to clarity of, tr of truth. Communication is a complex endeavor, and it is easy to misunderstand each other. And if you've been married for any amount of time, you know what I am talking about. How easy is it for us to have a conversation and leave with totally different conclusions about that conversation? For example, husband comes home from work and his wife says, did you get dinner, honey? And the husband says, well, um, no, I thought you were going to get dinner. And then the, the wife says, no, we discussed this yesterday. And, she, and, he sa and he says, no, 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 we discussed it. I'm coming home late for work, so you're gonna, you are going to get dinner. And the dance con continues because clear communication and understanding is hard. But repetition brings clarity to truth. But number three, repetition is a safeguard for us because it shows the importance of truth. What God's word emphasizes reminds us, repeats, should get our attention. One of the themes of Philippians is the joy of the Lord. You can see 
This is saturated throughout the Philippian letter. This means that one of God's priorities of his children is to guess what? To have children that are full of the joy of the Lord every day through the struggles and the trials. Are you rejoicing in the Lord today? Am I rejoicing in the Lord today? Or are we frustrated because of the circumstances that we're facing today? Because truth be known, we're going to always have tough circumstances that we're going to be dealing with. But if we are walking in the joy of the Lord under those circumstances is the anchor of trusting and having the joy of the Lord that's getting us through those circumstances God's way instead of just surviving. But let's continue on. And now we are in Philippians chapter 3, verses 2. And Paul actually leaves rejoicing in the Lord to warning the Philippians. To warning the Philippians. One thing you'll notice is that um, when we preach, we don't have a choice on what's coming up next because we're doing expository preaching. That means we're going verse by verse through the text. And there's some texts that you're thinking, I don't know if I really want to preach on that. But you really don't have a choice when you go verse by verse. So you, we get to hear everything that God wants us to hear, whether I want you guys to hear it or not, which is a real blessing, I think. But um, this is what Paul says. And we're leaving rejoicing and going, going to warnings in verse 2. And Paul says, watch out, some translations say. Other translations say, be aware of or be on guard against. Well, what does Paul want the Philippians to watch out for and be on guard against? And it'll come to a surprise to many of us because it's not really usually talked about in the American church very often. It's not very popular. It doesn't bring in huge numbers of people. And that is false teaching and false teachers. Paul hits it straight on and says this, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Paul uses some harsh language to explain the false teachers of his day, the Judaizers. And the Judaizers taught that, okay, it's great if you follow Christ, but you better follow the Old Testament too. You better follow the five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, and follow Christ. But if you don't have the Torah with following Christ, you're not really saved. That's what they taught. And this really ticked Paul off because it was confusing the churches of the day. And Paul compares them to dogs. That's what he says. He calls the Judaizers dogs. And let's just say calling someone a dog in the first century would not be considered a compliment to say the least. Dogs were not cuddly, domesticated pets, but wild scavengers in the first century that were considered a real nuisance and opportunities for mistreatment was welcome. They didn't have PETA in the first century. They really didn't. Um, but oh, a swift kick to the a swift kick to the ribs or rocks thrown at them was not an uncommon occurrence. As dogs would try to steal your food, the dogs were running around just trying to survive because they weren't domesticated. And Paul compares these Judaizers to dogs. Not to mention 
Jews believed that dogs were unclean animals. So they looked at these things, say these filthy, unclean, ungodly, unholy animals, and Paul calls them that. This would have been adding insult to injury. But Paul goes on, and he doesn't get any more encouraging about the Judaizers by saying those men who do evil. And from his first statement, as he said they're unclean, he's actually saying they're not children of God. He's saying they do evil. Guess why? Because they are evil. This reminds me of what Jesus says when he's dealing with the Pharisees who consistently rejected him. This is what Jesus said about the Pharisees. If you, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he who sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you aren't able to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think the, Jew, the Pharisees thought they were children of the devil when Jesus said that? No, they thought they were the elite children of God, right? They thought they were the greatest. So this is a real insult to them. But Paul is clear also that the false teachers that he's dealing with, the Judaizers, were doing evil because at the root of who they were, they were evil. They were controlled by their flesh. They were children of the devil. And let me say this. It hasn't changed today. Heresy is still heresy. And let me say, those that are causing confusion in the gospel and not standing on the pure word of God are still considered false teachers today. But for some reason, it's not talked about. But finally, Paul's last description of the Judaizers, again, he just continues to ramp it up. He says they're mutilators of the flesh. They're mutilators of the flesh because they practice circumcision. And we're not against circumcision. But if I told you to be saved, you had to follow Christ and be circumcised, that would be considered a heresy. We would have, we'd be saying you have to add works of the law to believing in Christ. They taught faith in Christ plus the works of the law equals salvation. This was and still is a heresy. Adding works to the finished work of Christ on the cross and giving man some of the credit for their salvation is a heresy. It confuses the gospel. Salvation from beginning to end is a work of God. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. God gets 100% of the credit for our salvation from beginning to end. Truth number three. In Christ, truth matters. In Christ, truth matters. It is ironic to me because many Christ followers get so heated about politics, but all of a sudden, and by the way, I sometimes do too, but all of a sudden you start talking about the Bible and they have no opinion at all. They don't have a clue. They don't even seem to care. If we're going to be so heated about politics, we better be so heated about the things of God also. We need to be astute students of the word of God. I can remember, I'm reminded of this when I um, got married. 
I would go up to what I thought was supposed to mature Christians and ask them, how, how do I have a God-centered marriage? How do I do this? And they would look at me with horror in their eyes as if they were like, I don't know what you do. I mean, that's the type of responses I get. Or I would get jokes. I would get, well, just remember, you're the head and your wife's the neck that turns the head. And that's about as far as it got for deep wisdom by mature Christians who have been in the faith for a long time. And let me beg us. I'm okay with jokes. I'm okay with saying that even. But we better have some good truths to tell people when they ask us. We better know practically how to walk out our faith and help other people do it also. Or we're wasting our time, church. If we can't use the Bible that has all the counsel of God to help us with fear, worry, depression, and whatever issues that people are dealing with today, and we're not practically able to help people and give them hope, by the word of God, we are in trouble. We are really in trouble. We need to study the word of God, not only for ourselves, but to practically help others out. Whatever opinions we give, we're giving counsel. And it better be counsel from the word of God. But often, another thing that I hear from a lot of Christians is the I don't judge comment. I don't judge. Well, I didn't ask you if you judge. I asked, do you have an opinion about the situation? I don't judge. I'm not asking you if you're judging. I'm asking you, how, how do you answer and how do you deal with specific um, situations in the Bible? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 2.15. 1 Corinthians 2.15. First Corinthians 2.15 says, The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. The Greek, the Greek word here for judgment literally means to examine or investigate thoroughly. God's word is the standard. So everything that we come across must be measured, examined, judged, if you may, by the word of God. God's word is the lens which Christians should be seeing all of life. We filter everything through the word of God. Whether it's in the church, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our parenting, whether it's in our business, whatever it is, it should be filtered through the word of God. Of God. This is what we're called to, church. I'm not calling, I'm not saying we judge people to heaven and hell, but we should be judging and knowing practically how to help people out and understanding basic truths on how to share the gospel with people. But let's continue on in verse 3. And we're back in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. And it says this. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, if I had another four hours with you, I would be able to share a lot because there's a ton in here. And I really shouldn't even, you know, I'm going to confess it now. I shouldn't even added this verse to my sermon because I should have waited because there's so much good stuff in here. But um, I'm being forced to do more than two verses at a time. So um, I'm not going to blame anybody for that. But um, truth number four, we, be, we depend on Christ. We depend on Christ as Christians. 
dependent in the fact that we recognize our strength comes from the Lord and not ourselves. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? On the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit or Happy are those who recognize they're spiritually helpless. Or happy are those who recognize that they're totally dependent on Christ and recognize that within themselves they are nothing. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Men, men, are we leading our families with Christ's strength or our own. Men, are we leading our families with Christ's strength or our own? Because a prideful man will say, I got this one covered, God. I got everything I need within myself to lead my family. And by the way, if you're not in the Word of God and you're not leading your family in the Word of God, that's exactly what you're saying. We need to be men who are in the Word of God. And leading our families in the word of God. A humble man knows that he doesn't have it all together. He doesn't know. He's trying to figure out how to love his wife. And that's a really hard thing to do. It really is, right? We need to be on our knees asking God, God, you're, you're telling me I have to love my wife? Like, you love the church? Wow! How do I do that? And we're on our knees diligently asking God, begging him, to empower us by his spirit to love that way, to love our wives that way, to lead our families that way. Women, how often are we struggling with fear and worry? And I know this is not just women that struggle with this, but how often are we struggling with fear and worry? Truth be known, fear and worry are sins, and they cause us not to love God or others when we're consumed with fear and and worry. Are we walking through the fear in God's strength? Or are we waiting in it, living in it, petting it, loving it, trying to deal with it on our own because we won't deal with it on our own. It will continue to haunt us all the days of our lives if we're not doing it in God's strength. Dependent faith focuses on God instead of self. Dependent faith looks upward instead of inward. Dependent faith depends on Christ and lets the Holy Spirit continue to change him for the glory of God instead of work like Pharisees in his or her own strength. In conclusion... See, that was pretty quick. In conclusion, are you depending on Christ today? Are you depending on Christ today? Are you walking in the joy of the Lord? Or are we being controlled by the circumstances that we are facing today? Are we filtering our lives through the word of God? Can we share the gospel with, with anybody who asks? Can we answer questions? Would we see false teachings if it was right in front of us? Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? If you don't know Christ or you're struggling in your faith, I would love to spend time with you, whether here after church or Casey will be in the back, 
Or we're here every day of the week and we would wrestle, open the word of God and help you in whatever way possible. If it's sharing the gospel, we would love to do that. And I will say that I would love to sit down and spend some time sharing the gospel with you. So if you come to faith, you know the cost that you're going to take by being a Christian. Christ said, if you will be my follower, we need to count the cost, right? And then he gives an example of building a tower. You don't build a tower without knowing how much it's going to cost. Same thing is true with the gospel. If you want to really study with us and look at being a Christian, we would love to do that and let you understand what you're getting yourself into. We need to be careful if we take that step forward. But we are just so thankful. May we be a church that continues to glorify God, to be a church that's rejoicing in the Lord regardless of the circumstances that we face. And we're excited because we've seen a lot of change, a lot of growth that is happening in the church, and we're excited where we are headed. But may God get all the glory for what he does in his church. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you, we honor you, we recognize, Father, that we are often so flaky and we struggle so much at times, whether it's in our marriages, whether it's in our minds, whether it's in our parenting, whether it's with depression and fear and everything else that we struggle with. We are inadequate people, that we are broken vessels that you are deciding to use, and we are so thankful that you are doing that, Lord. Help us as a church, to learn to be more faithful to you, to continue to love you more, because as we do that, we will love not only each other better, but we will love everybody around us from Marco Island better. May we be a church that really is making disciples. We thank you that we can come here together and be in awe of such wonderful praise to you and be able just to grow as brothers and sisters in Christ. We love you, and it's through Christ's name. Amen. guys stand as we sing a closing song. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love